Welcome to this Thursday's episode of SceneCast. This is the end of the year cast, which is um, the super important time for anyone that's into rating music and talking about music. But not just music. We've had a year full of television, series, movies, and other various pop culture happenings. Um, for this podcast, we're all going to talk about our favorite, whether it was... We're all going to talk about an album because, come on, how can you not have a favorite album? We'll all talk about a series or a movie and a wild card. So I'm going to throw it to you around for everyone to say their names, and then Kelly's going to start with Kelly McGarry's favorite album of 2016. Again, I'm Adam. <laughs> I'm Nora. I'm Kelly, but I know he only said that because I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I'm Aaron. All right, I'll start. So it's tough to rank a favorite album when there's so many good ones this year. Um, and although I think on paper I put my favorite album was Tribe Called Quest. Thank you for your service. We got it. We'll take it from here. Or we'll take it from here. I always mix it up. But we'll take. Um, I'm going to talk about Car Seat Headrest and their album this year, Teens of Denial. Kelly, I gave you the option for first. Now, uh, I'm snagging it. So, Teens of Denial is Will Toledo and Bunch's first official recording on Matador, the famous indie rock label. Um, and that presence is definitely felt. Um, their past works have had this really interesting DIY aesthetic um, with some really great indie rock. And some really cool different elements with some synths sometimes and stuff, but um, Teens of Style, or Teens of Denial, I'm sorry, finds them really crafting that, um, you know, early 90s uh, DIY indie rock with some really interesting provoking song writing via Will Toledo and really just well thought out arrangements they have songs on there that are over 11 minutes long which for an indie rock record is pretty impressive um and the fact that it can just hold your attention for that long is says a lot about what's going on there now i was able to see them twice this summer um once right before their album or right after their album came out like a couple days after and um about a month later after that and both times they were just excellent their whole they had that band element to them which uh is a really cool thing. They were making jokes in the in the show, which I appreciate. Um, they recently played Fallon, and the drummer wore a shirt that said Fallon, which I love. And, yeah, it's super good. Kelly, I think you said you liked it too, right? Yeah, I really should have gone first. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I deserved it. Um, yeah, my album of the year was Kanye, but I have... S- written extensively and I'm pretty proud of my writings on Kanye this year so I'm going to speak with words about um, similarly to Adam some artists that I saw live over the summer and so felt like a pretty personal connection to their work throughout the year Um, and these bands are Pine Grove and also Half Wave shout out New Jersey yes both from New Jersey. Suburbs. Both from New Jersey <laughs> suburbs like Adam. And yeah. Um, yeah, Pine Grove came in at 19 on our scenes top 20 list this week. Um, they just also did a tiny desk with Bob Boylan. <laughs> Their music is just gorgeous, like very nostalgic and affecting, um, really based in place and like rooted and 
amazing imagery in their lyrics and a lot of it revolves around like suburban New Jersey but it's pretty universal to like anybody's kind of like teenage years right and I yeah the album's called Cardinal and I fell in love with it saw them at Lollapalooza over the summer um where I was attending for VFI shout out WVFI, where we record this podcast. And yeah, I saw them at Lala and saw their like big set, which their big set was like the smallest Lala set I saw. They went on at noon. Um, their big set. Yeah, their big set. So they also played like a Toyota sponsored stage, which was their small set at Lollapalooza. And at that stage, I uh, kind of like worked my way up to them and mentioned that I knew Rap Boys. Um, which is a Notre Dame band that they toured with. Um, like Pine Grove brought Rap Boys on tour with them. Wait, did you say that whether like like after the show you went up to them? After the or? show, yeah, I just went up and talked to them and yelled it in the audience. Yeah, I like yelled it up from the famous. I threw my shoe at the drummer's head. Um, no, but yeah, and they were super cool and they were like, Oh, we totally know them and also we're going to go to their show tonight and i was like well that's cool because i am too so they went and kind of illegally played a set at this like house show because it's kind of like if you play lollapalooza you don't play other sets so Mm. i saw them three times the toyota is going to be calling them i know well i saw them three times in a day which is insane but speaks to how amazing their music is how amazing their music is alive that every time i saw them that day i wasn't bored i was like so involved in every set and they were so different from like the big lala stage to a basement in chicago in the july heat where during like there were like five acts playing and after every act everyone had to vacate the basement so the next person could set up but also just to like get out of the super hot basement (laughs) um and like we'd go wait in the backyard and one member of Pine Grove, Nandi, has a band with two other members um, of Pine Grove, but it's their own. Um, I wouldn't even call it a side project at this point. It's pretty, it's evolved into its own amazing band with a very different sound. Half Wave in their album, Probable Depths. I rated even a spot, it was a spot higher than Pine Grove on my list, actually. Their music's just pretty experimental. Um, and it plays into kind of that, like, pop-punk um, aesthetic that I like. Almost like, yeah, I also rated, t- I wrote a little bit this week about Teo and the Get Down. It's sort of reminiscent to that for mm. me. Just, like, it's got a really nice tons ambience of too. sounds. Yeah, There's so many different sounds that they managed to get in this record, and it's still Well, yeah, what I find accessible. so amazing about it, too, is that Pine Grove is a band that's rooted really in those really soft, sweet moments where, you know... Evan is belting out and the guitar is sort of behind him. It's it's pretty um, centered on that, whereas Nandi's project is extremely sparse and expansive. And uh, this is the, the, the see her like play in Pine Grove is kind of weird to me when considering the type of music she makes on her own. Yeah. But it works for sure. Yeah, it's, it's two very different projects, um, and I recommend listening to both of those. Maybe not at the same time, albums. but... Ah, I've done it. <laughs> yeah. So those are my picks. Um, so yeah, all good albums that I think I probably like came to appreciate um, the Pine Grove album and the Carsey Headrest album because of 
you two talking about them or writing yeah. about yeah. them or whatever. Well, so it's funny. Pine Grove's an album I really, really like. This past week, they're probably the band I listened to the most. Yeah. But uh, when I, they first came out, I mean, it's it. It's they're one of those bands that y- you think y- you hear the couple songs and you think you've heard them all. You know, you think that they have that very like early '90s um, sort of like built to spill fun rock sound but there's so much there there's so much like emotional depth that they put into those little fun campy songs yeah um so i'm also going to show some love to whitney who had light upon the lake um i was actually really surprised um with you know they did they killed it on our album ranking Mm -hmm. so Good for them. Um, they had a show this past weekend that I didn't make it out to, but I'm sure if I had. The basement uh, show I was speaking of earlier in Chicago was in their basement. They weren't playing, but it in was Whitney's like, basement. It was Whitney's basement. Yeah, at You're least kidding. the rumors of the people who in Whitney's owned it. basement. Where yeah. is Wh- where's Whitney's basement? Logan's, Logan Square. You're Chicago. kidding. Yeah, they're from Chicago, definitely. Yeah, yeah, but I'm gonna find it. Right. <laughs> no, one of my friends. It's Whitney here. <laughs> They like some of my friends got super into like finding underground shows like that oh. over the summer. Um, so you know, I'll ask around. Apparently, there's a Facebook page for this kind of thing. Yeah, that's how I heard about this one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Whitney's album. So they just came up this year. The two of them were part of a different band. It was Unknown Mortal Orchestra and Case Western. Case Western is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah the the singer in, the singer slash drummer it was the drummer slash singer in Unknown Mortal Orchestra, I believe, and the guitarist was from Case Westerns, I think. And I think the other there's another member from Case Western. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so here they come out with this first album, and it's just like so perfect to be um, their first work. It's it's got like the guitar of like the indie sort of folk even sound but then they come in and like show their sort of like i want to say urban like chicago jazz side with like all the horns coming in and then you've got these vocals that are just like so like they're they're pretty high pitched hard to get used to not hard to get used to but they're different they definitely stand out yeah Um, maybe my favorite vocals of any like rock album this year uh, is on whitney yeah Definitely, um, definitely unique. Definitely unlike anything else I've heard this year, or most other years. So yeah, and then you have like, there's like the sadness on the album, but there's like so many. There's like a few songs where you just want to dance, like um, Red Moon, definitely. So yeah, it was just a really good song for feels this year, happy or sad. So that's Whitney. Hey, it's Nora. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm new here, so. Yeah, favorite album. Um, I well, I liked uh, Oh Starlight, for instance, in the lights. Um, but I would say more so, I liked the color or er, coloring book Chances album, especially because I. So I can never when I'm writing anything like a paper or something, I can never listen to something with words but for some reason I was writing this paper about like impressionistic art and um I was listening and I was able to listen to Chance's album just on repeat in the background um and it was a super weird contrast um (laughs) of these like 19th century artists and then also like listening to Chance but it kind of worked um just because like first of all 
the craft of the songs are just beautiful like the first all we got like he kind of falls into it with the trumpet in the beginning and it just kind of like trips into the little and then he starts singing and then it's like jubilant and joyful um and like the lyrics are poetic in places where you don't really expect them to be which is cool um so yeah no all things considered like the way that it it sounds and the way that it feels reminded me of like the art that I was looking at and so I just do this kind of weird little personal connection to it um, and I haven't been able to shake that so whenever I think of it I like picture these visual like these bright visual images as well as listening to this bright like happy jubilant joyful music and it's just a cool a cool feeling yeah what was what was Chance on our ranking what number was he Uh, 14 maybe 15 yeah Yeah, he was up there yeah Mm -hmm. cool alright so that wraps it up for music. We've already written about probably approximately 500,000 words on <laughs> music this oh, year. Music. However, more than music occurred this year. We've had some excellent TV series and movies, mm-hmm. um, one of which we've had the third season of one of my favorite shows, Transparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it, too. Aaron likes it, too. Nice. Uh, on stream on Amazon. Uh, it stars Jeffrey Tambor as... Mara, uh, a woman in transition. Um, she was is the father of three um, adults now, played by uh, I don't know their actu- I don't know their names now. I feel bad. That was risky. <laughs> yeah, that was risky. But Duplass is um, one of the Duplass brothers. Plays Joshy. Jay Duplass. Jay Duplass plays Josh, who is. An aspiring, well, I don't know, he's, he's sort of established his career as this um, music producer, cool guy. Uh, and then his two sisters both uh, are going through their own sort of identity struggles as well in the show. Um, but overall, I mean, as heavy as some of the topics they cover in the show, it does such an excellent job of um, creating sort of this light feel to it via the, the camaraderie of the family. And um, I think that sort of contradiction is really extremely poignant and powerful enough to really n- f- keep you involved but also allow you to sort of enjoy it while it goes on it's funny that you called it what did you say a light approach to that or uh-huh but like uh, we t- i've talked to you before about like their use of light throughout the show yeah the imagery is their, fanta- the their imagery is yeah the it's like beautiful visuals throughout the show really interesting flashbacks um, throughout the series, which like are making more sense than they did the first season, but yes. are still a sense of like confused. Like it's yeah. it's it keeps you wondering. Yes, I mean there's yeah, it's, it's it and and to that it's it's sort of intellectually provoking, mm-hmm. both from a sort of cultural sense, but also from a continuity sense, which is interesting yeah. because. You know, uh, it, it, it does, it, like you said, keep you on your toes while you watch it. But, again, it is fun. And um, they also mix in sort of family drama. And you kind of get involved in all the affairs and all the yeah just happenings with the... Oh, last name. Pfefferman, with the Pfefferman, Pfefferman. family. Pfefferman. It's a, a fun last name. Yes, I'm glad I was able to God. recall. Yeah. But yeah, I think that, I think of all the series I've watched, I think that... 
might have been a favorite. I think I wrote about it. I don't uh, at some point. Yeah, you did. I did. Or you wrote it and maybe never published it. You were, you were no, at least writing. That's it. not my style. <laughs> All right, <laughs> it was published then. <laughs> um, so my series, which I just finished, um, I always joke like TV series. They trip me up. Transparent. I my like Twitter bio for a while was like perpetually about to watch Transparent because yeah. like for years I'd be like that sounds so good, so interesting. One of these days I'll hop on my Amazon account and do yeah. more than that's buy, probably like, part of the issue though is that no one thinks to do that. Like if you're if I see Netflix, I immediately think of Netflix series, but yeah. I hop on Amazon is a little yeah. Insane. If I'm on Amazon, I'm like buying Q-tips, right. not watching yeah. engaging shows. But yeah, so I did, and um, I also was a big fan of two FX shows this year. Um, You're the Worst, which scenes covered in the past. Um, And this year we had a piece on it as well. Just a super engaging look at, um, like, it's character studies and, and and relationship studies. But I feel like calling it... One of those, like, 20-something, like, what are relationships in the modern right. day? Like, that doesn't give it justice. They do studies of last season. It was a big focus on one of the main characters, depression. Um, this year, they did a super affecting job covering one of the characters' post-traumatic stress um, disorder, where he was, like, a veteran of Iraq. And the way they went about it, they showed one whole episode, and that character with the PTSD is, is in the episode. Um and like he is in most episodes he's like one of the main characters but then next week when you tuned in it was the exact same episode but shown from his point of view so like and essentially an entirely different episode with like things going on that you had no idea were going on and it's just like a really poignant look at how these different things affect people right. and affect experiences good way and, to tackle that yeah and it's super impressive too that they were like willing to be like we're going to do the same ex- – to get that effect, they did this same exact episode, which is, like, in a rating and, like, from a rating standpoint is a really risky move, um, but worked out in their favor, in my opinion, for sure. And I also just finished, which was my point about I always take forever to watch shows. I just finished Atlanta um, approximately two days ago. Um, I always seem to finish TV shows during or around finals. So Atlanta um, – was it was the first season it's donald glover's series and adam you just wrote a really great piece about kind of what he's done this year in music and tv um the show was really great there was some really interesting like cultural and social um points brought up that i guess just like you're the worst fx has some really um great shows that address things yeah um that tv sometimes just will like gloss over right. or not not look into at all they give a lot of autonomy to the creators of yeah i mean like for sure the louis ck deal is sort of now synonymous with just like giving a bunch of money to yeah. a creative and allowing them to sort of explore whatever they want to on their own yeah the only thing is they have a the worst ads like oh. the worst ad experience on the online website which is how i watch it because i'm a millennial and i don't watch tv um at the time it airs. But yeah, it Atlanta. Down, <laughs> Atlanta 
um, had some. It also it was another show with I thought really great characters. I was a big fan of of Van who starred in a series I I wrote about as well, um, which was on Netflix. Easy and. Yeah, I thought she was a great, and she's like an up and coming talent. I hadn't seen her in anything before this year, but she definitely gained prevalence on Atlanta and Easy. Um, and of course, Donald Glover was. Yeah, Donald great. Glover is really, really good. Um, I'm trying to remember the other actor's name that plays. Um, Paperboy? Nah, Paperboy's friend. Paperboy's kind of confidant. Ah, he's in You're the Worst. Right, yeah. Yeah. What's his name? I'm, I'm uh, just, just. Marcus? Yes, Mark. That's, that's either his name in You're the Worst or that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's his name in the. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think it's Marcus. Um, we've read a, we've written about him too in in that role. And, yeah. Um, he's amazing. Um, just just every I mean a, a lot of the acting is 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 really strong in that show, and I think um it's kind of speaks to the genuineness that's sort of portrayed. Um, they do a really good job of of getting into the perspectives of each character and giving enough development. I feel to you know their each individual storylines and incentives mm-hmm. and motives and um it really does create a really cool overarching sort of um idea of what's actually going on yeah but yeah those are my i was a big fan of F- of fx this year so what about you kelly um so as far as tv shows uh, this year there was a new again amazon um good girls revolt which, oh, I've seen like commercials for that yeah is it about journalism yes okay so i related to it a lot uh, <laughs> working in the observer office kelly was, was a good girl our, she revolted. <laughs> well now i'm thinking about revolting <laughs> no um we have really great equality down there so basically that's what, so that's what it's about so um when i first heard about it i kind of thought it was going to be like these like school girls or something who like start going to rock concerts or like something lame but um i've heard it compared to mad men because it's like the office setting uh-huh. and the it basically the problem is that they work at this like major newspaper and all the women they're mostly like young like in their low 20s um so they're like super relatable to me at least <laughs> and um they're they call them researchers is their position at the paper and so they do like a lot of hard work um, getting the information for the stories, and then, you know, basically, uh, someone who has the position of writer just kind of plops it all together and stamps their name on it, and then the researchers don't get any credit. Um, so it's like that's the revolt. Those are the good girls. The good girls are the researchers, and that's the revolt, which is not what I expected, and it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, all the so I've heard it compared to Mad Men, and I think the major difference is that most of the characters in Mad Men are, like, very, like, they're on, like, one side of, like, the cultural spectrum of that time. So it's set in, like, the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead in Good Girls Revolt, you have kind of, like, the counterculture coming through. Um, and you also have a lot of good context with them being in journalism. They're starting to talk about, oh, there was deaths at this, um, at this music festival. Like that's kind of, and like the Black Panthers, um, covering that. So that's kind of cool to get the cultural context. And then the, 
um the soundtrack is just so fun to hear like every song you hear is just like yes i love this song at least for me Mm -hmm. um it was a great time for music they've got some well time of the season by the zombies that's like Mm -hmm. one of the most fun songs i know and then my favorite well i shall be released which that i thought that was like the band but they have a bob dylan i shall be released so whatever whatever that came out as whatever they played it as it's just a great song so good girls revolt isn't just and also all oh, the other thing is that like it's definitely totally geared towards a female audience i think with that name and like the images that they have but i'm kind of like disappointed that they did it that way after seeing the show um because they have a lot of really strong female characters that i think anyone could appreciate but it's hard to um kind of get like a male audience when you market it that way that's but, true yeah. yeah and it's not so straightforward as like men are bad guys women are good guys there's like good guys <laughs> we're the good guys but because there's like I don't know, there's a lot of, like, more complex characters than that. Like, a woman who's, like, old in the business who comes in and it's like, when they want to make a change, they're like, oh, honey, no, like, you don't want to do that. So, I don't know, lots of good things to think about, lots of good characters, lots of good acting. Good Girls Revolt. I'm allowed to talk about things that we didn't like, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least me. (laughs) Uh, Bad reviews. Well... I guess not necessarily a bad review, just a lukewarm review. Stranger Things. Um, I just, watching it, I understood why it could get addictive. And I feel like, because, I think it's addictive because it's so simple. Like, the plot itself is not incredibly complicated, Um, And I kept expecting something, maybe this is just me, but I kept expecting something to happen like it did with Lost, where you start getting really interesting layers of, like, really complex plot detail, and that just never happened. And, like, I knew, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I I could predict things as they were coming, and I knew that they would come. And I feel, also, I feel like the female characters in particular acted in a very, very, very predictable way. Um, So I think it... I feel like you can under you can understand or at least explain some of the popular appeal in that it was visually really appealing. That's for sure, like beautiful, um, and it just played on the nostalgia for these classic set in the like nineties horror movies that all followed a similar structure kind of like in the same way that like scooby-doo is appealing um so while i liked it for what it was i didn't find it revolutionary in the way that a lot of people were talking about it Mm -hmm. yeah i I get that totally and i I did watch it and i i like i felt like i sort of just got through it because it was like well like i i I definitely like People were comparing it to like Breaking Bad, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's even a comparison. I, like I think, like you said, mm-hmm. it's visually impressive. I think um, the acting is pretty is done pretty well. I think mm-hmm. they did a really good job capturing that sort of '80s nostalgia. The music is interesting, but I, the the plot again, like you said, is pretty tepid. There isn't there aren't many like twists or anything like that. Not the right. twist, but 
I don't know, there wasn't really anything that grounded it and, and, and made me like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. Sort of just enjoyed the ride. Right. Like, even the, the, what was supposed to be a surprise, I felt never truly surprised by it. Which maybe maybe I just had high expectations coming into it because I had been hyped so much. Right. But. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with that, we're going to wrap up with a wild card pop culture mm-hmm. choice for right. everyone. Oh, yeah. I can start off with mine, um, which is a website mm-hmm. called The Ringer. Um, Grantland scenes number one role model for writing um, disappeared around this time last year, like November, around, yeah, fall of last year. And it left a lot of people on our staff and around the world pretty upset um, because it fostered really inventive story ideas surrounding pop culture. They had a lot of freedom, what they were allowed to write, which meant not just album and TV reviews. They were There were like a ton of think pieces, and they'd relate a show to something happening in the world. And so it was a really great place for our writers to kind of get inspiration and look towards um, outside of just the norm of like pitchfork mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So... Yeah, when it went away, we were really sad. But thankfully, um, the Ringer, which started up in July, um, July or August, this summer, it fosters as a home, or it acts as a home for a lot of those writers we were really fond of. So, like, Kate Kibbs is there. Shea Serrano um, was a little bit later to transition over to the Ringer, but he is writing there as well. And it's just proven itself again and again as, like, an amazing follow-up to what Grantland was. And they also... So it's like a it's like Bill Simmons' media company now. So it has podcasts, and they have even HBO shows connected now with, like, the website and the podcast. So it's, like, this really great web of um, kind of the kind of content that, like, we really enjoy and also really need in the world where like you can go find hot takes on like pretty much anything from pretty much any source i just really appreciate the ringers um take on so many different articles like i'm thinking of one right now instead of reviewing well they did do a normal review of the show i mentioned earlier in this podcast easy which is like a netflix series kind of based on the modern day relationship which is so many tv shows as i also mentioned so they did a piece where they ranked the shows with the top 10 insufferable yuppie um plots and easy was right up there i think it might have even been number one and they just went through all these shows and picked out like easy's one of the reasons easy was on the list was because orlando bloom starred as a hot dad (laughs) and they had like a bunch of green juice like places in the plot line so that's kind of stuff like those inventive pieces um i think are super important in trying to vary up the um pieces we write today about what's what's going on right very good um for my wild card and i think nora and i are going to share this one yeah me too 
um, is the 10-part series podcast via Malcolm Gladwell, who is best known for some of his sort of pseudo-psychology, economic, sort of weird mm. Malcolm Gladwellian um, <laughs> science uh, books, n- like Outliers and David and Goliath, mm-hmm. um, The Th- Blink, What the Dog Saw, and a couple others. Um, so this year he came out with a 10-part podcast series. I think they're about like half an hour, right? Something like that. Yeah, approximately. Um, in which he sort of covered a bunch of different topics. Some, um, like some topics had more than one episode, but for the most part, they were sort of in line with his book topics, um, sort of his way of looking at situations and trying to find those weird truths. Um, he did a lot with sort of uh, education in this country and sort of the problems we're facing in terms of donations and um, how to you know get the right students into schools that are maybe not have the funds to get into there and, and what that means for a school and so mm-hmm. really really interesting thought-provoking stuff and he would sort of put in lighter-hearted ones with like he his last one or one of his last ones is on the role of parody and stuff so it was something that i really enjoyed right but i mean the role of parody one i thought was actually a little well it was kind of dark too yeah it was talking about how true. like par- people who parody uh correct me if i'm wrong adam but it was if I'm remembering, people who parody other people oftentimes end up legitimizing them in a way that they didn't mean to, especially if it's like a controversial political figure or something like that. Right. Um, so it was it, kind of a warning. Yeah, they had, they, they did this really interesting, um, he, he, he had some in, like examples from right. uh, Israel of, of what parody means in Israel and it was sort of this mm-hmm. really cutting, biting, um, you know, it sort of makes you go like, first before you laugh right and then compare that to the horrors of snl (laughs) and sort of them making fun of sarah palin and having sarah palin on the next episode which is just so ridiculous and um really speaks to why that show is sort of falling out of favor right because they're not willing or don't realize that they aren't being nearly as I guess right. incisive as they could be. Yeah, it's just um, not. Yeah, it's just not parody, really. I mean, and, right. But but yeah. See, th- these are the kinds of discussions it makes you kind of consider that I I don't think I would have ever probably thought about. And yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's totally Malcolm Gladwell for you. Yeah. No. So uh, just my own, I guess, experience with it was driving back from Denver, Colorado, this summer uh, with my dad, and we just watched or we listened to <laughs> um, everyone and. It's, yeah, like Adam said, like maybe half an hour of an episode, and then we would have maybe an hour-long conversation afterwards. Right. So they're just, they're super interesting to turn over, and they definitely aren't uh, definitive by any means. He leaves a lot Yeah, and they're just so, about. they're so, so dense. Yeah. Like anything that Malcolm Global does, the amount of research that went into the series is tremendous. Oh, yeah. So well done. And it's, it's just a pleasure to listen to Malcolm's sort of cheeky comments <laughs> and... I don't know. I'm a big. He always has a fan. has a point to what he's trying to say. He always takes a stance, right? Um, and it's it's kind of I like he he casts it as revisionist history, but it's really mostly just things that Malcolm Gladwell wants to talk about. Right. I don't think we mentioned yet. It's revisionist history is yeah. the title. Kelly. Um, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to give that a listen. Definitely. Yeah, uh, I've listened to one episode. I'm gonna keep it yeah. short and sweet. Um, 
Favorite thing in pop culture in 2016? Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Don't tell me that's not pop culture. Um, Good had, one, Kelly. He had Don't Vampire Weekend playing at a uh, high school. Like, I saw I saw Ezra Koenig so close to my face, courtesy of Bernie Sanders. Yeah, thanks, Bernie Sanders, thanks. for your con- contribution to pop culture. Killer Mike. Uh, he had Dave Matthews play. He Dirty Projectors played with him. Yeah. Like, that was awesome. Um, and then... I'm going to, one more little thing that I'm going to quickly touch on. I didn't pick the South Park season as uh, my, like, favorite TV. It, like, it wasn't, or it shouldn't have been. I don't know if it was. (laughs) It was. It was. But (laughs) but I can't justify it. But member berries were the best thing in pop culture. One of the best things in pop culture in 2016. There are so many times, like, they just capture this, concept that is everywhere and nobody has expressed it well until they put these member berries like uh matthew Mackey wrote an article that was like somebody give me the title because it was really it was really good uh i could give myself the title but it was like pop culture and the infinite nostalgia wheel or something it was just like that and they even talk about star wars as a thing in south park with the member berries but it's just like Wait, what are the Oh, yeah, I should explain. I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain. I, I, I got to be honest. I watched yes. that episode, and I, it sort of was over my yes. head. I didn't really understand exactly what they were trying to... It would okay, be member so berries are... So, all right, so with the election, or with Mackie's piece about the infinite culture feedback loop, it's like nostalgia feeding... Like, just getting high off nostalgia, basically. People eat these berries, and then they vote for Mr. Garrison, who is like... It's kind of like they they eat the berries and then they're supposed to like decrease anxiety and but the way they do that is by talking about like a quote better time they're like remember Reagan oh right remember yeah. when there weren't so many immigrants and then like it influences people's political decisions huh yeah and then, and then it's like start we're gonna save America like and it's so, what's his I, name save Star Wars with it's the new so Star funny Wars. and ridiculous he's like they're like these little like grapes that's like speak. that's what I want to be for Halloween in your dress Aaron oh member that's berries. member berries you should have been that what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing oh I have your cinnamon <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure you get that's on air <laughs> um <laughs> police that. <laughs> The at the, the album ranking party got a little out of hand, and we needed some cinnamon to mm. calm cinnamon, Adam down. Cinnamon challenge. <laughs> we just all did it. <laughs> Me, Adrian, and John just barking at each other. So yeah, as others. we look back on 2016, and I bet a lot of these things that we liked we liked because of member berries. Yes. I'm done. Member berries. <laughs> So that is our show. 2016, you've been a very strange year. You've done us all dirty. But there's been some good points, too. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next year.